Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. I, I want to take you back to the 90s. Where were you at in the 90s? Some of you guys weren't even born. Some of you have been born a long time. But in the 90s, uh, I, I went through junior high, high school. I graduated in 1997. And, uh, and it was interesting because computers just really started to come on the rise. Never forget. I know some of you guys are like, what in the world is that? But computers were taking off. Microsoft was dominating, um, really leading the way and pioneering this trail in regards to computers. And Apple started coming off. There were some big apples, too, um, along with Microsoft computers. But the Internet didn't even exist until like the mid-90s, and even then it was still communicating to people with the little green numbers or green letters on uh, this big old screen. And uh, believe it or not, like our phones blow these guys out of the water. Um, It's just amazing how far technology has come. But, But during the 90s, information was still hard to get a hold of. You couldn't just go on and Google like we do now. There wasn't apps. There wasn't any of that stuff. And so many of you guys would remember uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. (laughs) They they would actually solicit your door. They would knock on the door like, hey, you want some info? I want to sell you lots of heavy books. And some of us, we had this set or, or something similar to it, never read it. Just made us kind of look smart as people would walk into our homes, like sitting, under, sitting underneath the television, right? And, and so, so you go back, and then this didn't last very long, because shortly after that, Microsoft came out with Encarta. Encarta was uh, an entire encyclopedia on CD-ROM. You guys remember a CD-ROM? And so, so really just kind of wiped Britannica off off of the landscape. And then six years later, 1999, the game changed again. And many of you guys could probably figure out where I'm going with this. But in 1999, Encarta got completely crushed and destroyed by a website called Wikipedia. Now, now with Encarta and Britannica, they had content teams, they had editors, they had um, writers, they had research teams. Um, But it, it wasn't really huge. And so, you know, the the accuracy was about, I think, 2.9% was the average accuracy, like, per chapter or as far as errors go. So there was about a 2.9% error rate. Not not too bad. I I mean, that's pretty good. Um, But but then you fast forward to to Wikipedia, and as Encarta and, uh, um, and Britannica had a content teams, Wikipedia really changed the game with how we receive information and content. So they, they didn't have a content team or writers or editors. They had all of us that would give their input, which is kind of scary if you think about it. Who was the content creators? Who was the writers? Who was the editors? It was you and I. And what they discovered is that everyone is better than someone. And, and I, I don't think people thought it was going to work at first, but then the error ratio wasn't too, too much further away from Botanica or Encarta. It was only like a 3.86 error ratio. So when you think about it, it's only like about a 1% difference in errors. And the scary part was this. When I read this, this I, my heart sank, is that many doctors in regards to medicine, in regards to surgeries, would consult Wikipedia. 
And the other 50% use websites like WebMD and things of that sort. Now, now I, I remember I took my daughter to, I don't know if they still do that, but that was an older statistic, but I'm sure Wikipedia gets some love still. But I remember I took my daughter to, I'm not going to say which hospital, but I took my daughter to the hospital and she had a stomach ache. And I never forget, sometimes, you know, back in the day, you'd be on the side where you can see the computer. And literally, he's typing in stomach ache, <laughs> bubbles, feels like bubbles. I'm like, bro, are you Googling? <laughs> like, I could have I did this. You guys tell me not to do it. But now you're doing it. Scary. But bottom line is this. They realized, Wikipedia realized that we can accomplish so much more together, which I think is so fitting, as Pastor Jackie said today, um, really with the emphasis on the body of Christ. I think in moments like this across the globe, I mean, we have so many people hurting all across the the globe. And sometimes it's really, it's tough because us in the West, we've had it really cush when it comes to our faith. And a lot of times we think even what we're facing now is like this intense persecution, but it's really not what they're facing in some of these other countries from Nigeria to Afghanistan to Asia to all over the world, a persecution that, man, they they don't get to do what we're doing here. They get murdered and imprisoned. I mean, you you look at Pakistan, it's capital punishment or life in prison for preaching the gospel. And so so sometimes it's, it's easy. We can have a moment where we take this in and like, oh, yeah, we're the body of Christ. And then it's like, what's for lunch? And we can move on so quickly. And I'm not saying that we, we, you know, we live in this perpetual state of grief, but I'm saying we should take some moments and grieve and think about the implications of what's happening, regardless of your political construct, regardless of any of that. Like, just be reality. Like, they're hunting Christians down. And, you know, I, I was watching my kids run around church this morning, and I just thought, man, that's not their reality this morning. That's just not their reality. So we are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 says, Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we all are given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And that's the beauty of the church. Today's going to be a little less preachy and a little more teaching. But this is the beauty of the church is that we all collectively make up the body of Christ. And when everybody plays their part, powerful things happen. God does amazing things by the power of his spirit, empowering his people. Homes change. Cities change. Regions change. Nations change. The globe is impacted as a result of that beautiful reality. The good news proclaimed across the world. And so, so I want us to get this, this, this really, this picture of the body of Christ because I think sometimes we, we lose sight of this beautiful reality that we have a part to play and that together we can make a huge huge difference, so that together we are called to go and to make disciples. Now, when you think about the body of Christ, I think our serve team really understands this reality. Some of you guys may think our serve team are a bunch of people that don't, that have a lot of time on their hands. They must be lonely. And, um, you know, why in the world would they show up at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning? Why in the world would they do this? It's, it's not because they're lonely, not because they're not busy, 
but because they see this beautiful reality that God has created each of us to go into the world to make an eternal difference, to make disciples of all nations. And the early church got this, and so do we. We need to catch this at a grander level. In the book of Acts, by the time Acts chapter 6 hit, Acts chapter 6, it was a huge movement. What started with 120 people in the upper room, the Spirit of God is poured out. All of a sudden, things start to explode. Peter preaches his first sermon. 3,000 people get saved. They, they were saying that uh, many were added through small groups and, and uh, as they met from, in the temple courts and they met from house to house. So the Lord was adding to their number daily, the scripture says. I mean, the early church was exploding. They said at one point it was about 20,000 believers when Jerusalem only had about 40,000 citizens. And so you could just imagine the explosive growth in a very short amount of time. The, they, they, they began to, to teach and to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, and then persecution hit. And when persecution hit, they scattered. And what the enemy meant for harm, the Lord used for good as the gospel went out then to the nations. And the gospel continued to, to spread. You get this picture like, why is this? Why was this happening? I, I like what Dr. Kenneth says from Yale, he says, never in so short of time has any other religious faith or any other set of ideas, religious politics or economics have ever achieved so commanding of a position in such an important culture without the aid of physical force or social or cultural prestige. Other movements spread by conquest or by politics, but not Christianity. <laughs> Let that settle in for a moment. The, the reality is this, is that the gospel does not need any of those constructs to thrive. And, and we can't rely on any of those constructs that are going to make the gospel thrive any more or, or, or less. Are you, are you tracking with me? I'm not saying be responsible, and I'm not saying that those things aren't important. But that's not why the early church grew so rapidly. It wasn't because of cultural prestige or conquest or by politics. It's because men and women, just like you and I, ordinary men and women, were responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, hearts radically transformed, empowered by the Spirit, using their gifts to serve the church and to serve the world. World and things began to explode. And so, so let, me, let me kind of break down the gift sets that we've been talking about. We talked about how love gifts manifest the love of God in very practical ways. Word gifts clarify the nature of God in action, the nature, of, the nature and action and purpose of God. And power gifts demonstrate the power, presence, and reality of God right in the moment. And can I just tell you that every church needs all of the gifts in operation, if not, what happens, just like anything else, we get lopsided, we have one particular focus, but we leave out the rest when we need kind of the whole body to operate as one. You and I both know that if something is wrong with your body, even the smallest of cut, your whole body feels it. Like a paper cut can ruin your afternoon. You know what I mean? Just the smallest of things. And I think it's tough because some gifts may feel a little bit more supernatural than others. And I think it's important that in Christianity, we have to understand that our worldview is an integrated worldview, Me meaning this, is that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. If you miss one of those aspects of Christ, you get a distorted picture of who he was. The Bible is both fully divine, fully divine, inspired by the Holy Spirit, yet used men to pin down what the Holy Spirit was speaking. 
And so we have this both, this, this practicality and this divine, but neither one of them are separated. It's, it's both the divine, the supernatural, and the natural that make up our reality. And so, so I want us to get this picture. One definition says it this way. Every one of the gifts is from the Holy Spirit, needs the Holy Spirit to function, is supernaturally empowered, supernaturally powerful, but take on a different emphasis. So like one gift is not better than the other. And unity in this is key. Because some people with certain gifts, they may feel like I'm kind of like on this airplane, I'm kind of economy with the gifts that God has given me. And then some that have like the power gifts, they feel like they're first class. Well, the people that have, you know, maybe some of the, the gifts that seem a little bit more practical, maybe like I don't want to hang out with those super spiritual people that just, you know, live on a different planet. They think they're all that. You know, I'm just going to continue to do my thing and the gifts that God has given me. Then sometimes people with, you know, the power gifts can, can feel that superiority and be like, what's wrong with the rest of you? How come you're not prophesying? How come you're not doing this? How come you're not like, what is going on here, right? So, so many times what we have in the church, we have gift tension. Because every evangelist feels like, how come you're not telling everybody? <laughs> like, yeah, we're all called to evangelize, but some people have that gift, where it's like they ate, sleep, drink, breathe. I mean, Jesus is everywhere they go. And I believe that every believer should have that heart to a certain degree. But for some believers, it may operate a little bit more as a discipline than a gift. Are you guys tracking with me on that? And so, so we have to know that, that all of the gifts are important. We can't be lopsided. If somebody has love, just focuses on the love gifts. If a church just focuses purely on the love gifts, they're loving, they're kind, and, and there's social justice initiatives, and, and there's this great hospitable heart. But if the other gifts are not in, in, in operation, then what happens? What about teaching and preaching? What about, what about truth? So, so what, is a, what ends up happening is, man, you are an extremely loving church, yet you are all heretics at the same time. Because you just, it's like, man, where everything is like love and this and this and we've got a distorted picture of love because we don't have solid preaching and teaching that are helping us understand what love is. And so, so all of a sudden, and then you have the flip side where you go and it's all truth. It's just all teaching. But it's cold. You know, you walk into some of those churches and it's like freezing. You're like, dude, this ain't the air. Like, is, <laughs> is God even in this place, Right? And it's like, man, they know everything to say, but there's not some of these other gifts and operation that are providing an environment where people are like, oh, man, I'm so glad you're here. And, and so, so and then you have, you know, the, 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 some churches that end on the air on the power side and everything is just, you know, speaking in tongues and prophesying and all that stuff is good. But then there's not a lot of discernment happening. We're like, is this from God? Is this not from God? What is going on? And so all the gifts are important. And a lot of times we're all called to operate. And some of these things that we're going to talk about today, all of us are called to. Yet the difference is this. Does it come with great ease? Do you feel like Jesus is in it every time you do it? If not, it may not be a gifting, but you still may need to walk in it as a discipline, as a spiritual discipline. And so let's look at the love gifts together. A love gift, it manifests the love of God in very practical ways. We're going to focus on love gifts today. And so we're going to start off with the gift of administration. Now, it's important to understand that the love gifts are more of supporting gifts. They're not ruling gifts. A love gifts are all about supporting and building up what God has already established through the vision of, of leadership, of pastoral leadership. Like they, the love gifts want to just come and support. Now, now remember, in all these gifts, we're not talking about value. They're all valuable, equally valuable. 
but different in function. And so, so, so the administrator is not primary a leadership gift. Even though somebody with leadership can have an administration gift, they can have both. But if the administrator does not have a leadership gift, sometimes you want to take control of things. And if you do and you don't have a leadership gift, you end up blowing up the whole thing and you mess it all up and things get out of hand and discombobulated because that's really not the role of that gifting. A gifting is a supportive one to come up under uh, when there's a clear vision, um, when there's, there's a, a, a clear understanding of where we're going, that administration gift brings so much life, but it has to submit to the greater vision. Uh, administration is also described as wise counsel. So, so there, there's, there's a wisdom or, or, or the gift of guidance. In the original language, it's, it's administration, guidance. So it has this idea of, of wise counsel as well. So I want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 and 28, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a member of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, and those with gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various tongues. And so, so this gift of administration, if you have the gift of administration, you're going to have this angst on the inside of you to support this overall vision and if you don't, you're going to get frustrated. If you try to take power and control when you shouldn't, you're going to get frustrated because that's not the best lane for this gifts. So what's, in, what's never in question for the administrator, um, where is never the question? It's, it's how. It's how. So um, Robert Clinton says it this way, the gift of administration involves a capacity to manage details of service functions so as to support and free those in leadership to prioritize their efforts. The, the word that, that Paul uses here, it's a nautical term, like, like, a, like a sailor, like somebody that's actually steering the ship, somebody that stands in between the owner and the crew. Does that kind of paint a picture for you? Meaning the owner of the ship is, is making the basic decisions, like the purpose of the, of the voyage, what the ship is, is it, where the ship is going, what it's going to do when they get there. But the helmsman, the administrator, is building out the plan, is, is steering the ship to say, hey, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going uh, to get there. We're going to gather some people. They're going to build teams. They're going to they're figure out that plan, how to get from A to B. So that is a very supernatural gift, because if you have great vision and you don't have administrators, I'm telling you, when we think administrator, we think task. It, that's not it. It's guidance. It's being able to, to figure out how do I free up others to do their gifting how do I take the vision, make it plain, and move the mission forward, get a plan? They are critical. So how do you know if you have the gift of administration? Well, there's going to be an effortless skill for organization, task, and people. So it's, it's, it's not less than task, but it's so much more. You love to streamline the steps and clarify the process for task at hand. For task at hand. Uh, you, think more about, uh, you think about more than work and imagine ways to help others reach their goals. You have a concern for the whole group, and when you are with that group, you don't tend to gravitate toward the leadership role. Not only meeting the needs of the group, but the leaders. Like, there's this angst. Pastor Chris has the gift of administration. He is always asking me, Pastor Matt, how can I free you up? Pastor Matt, what do we, hey, I got an idea. Hey, we can simplify this. Hey, we can streamline this. Hey, he's always figuring out ways 
to move the mission forward and to free myself, my wife, our team up in ways that they could operate fully in their gifts. We can streamline, we can do all this, and, and he loves it. Like Jesus is present. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you for Pastor Chris. Um, and so, so again, uh, you like to do things that help other people and you don't mind managing things or carrying out details when needed. We see this happening in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 and 3. It says, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. This is what happens when people are in charge that don't have the gift of administration, right? Or have way too much to do on their plate. This is why, as a church, we do church as a team. We don't have a couple superheroes running around here doing everything because this is what happens with growth comes problems. Why? Because there's more people with greater need. That's why the gifts need to be in operation. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now they are not above this. In fact, this implies that they're doing it. But it's, it's taking away from what God has gifted them and called them to do. And so what happens is, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Can I just tell you this? Fruit of the Spirit always has to be the undergird of gifts. Fruit of the Spirit has to precede gifts of the Spirit. If it doesn't, you'll be a church like the church in Corinth, where you're super gifted, but you're knee-deep in sexual immorality. You're caught up in sin and, God, I mean, just madness. You're gifted, but you're lacking in fruit. We always want spiritual gifts to be undergirded by spiritual fruit. And so, so it continues and it says, we will turn this responsibility over to them. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching of the word. Now an administrator doesn't like, well, oh, so you just get freed up to pray and teach? See, administrator says, oh, I love that. Oh, when you're thriving in the word, when God is speaking to you, when you're praying, like that fills my tank. So let me take this. Let me figure it out. Let me organize it. Let me take the responsibility of it so that you can be freed up to move the mission forward. And you know what, you know what it says after this? It says, it says that, that the church grew. The church grew because now it had the capacity to grow because people were in their proper places. Are you, are you guys with me on that? So, so some of you guys may be like, I'm totally gifted at administration, but I hate it. Like, it doesn't fill my tank. You don't feel Jesus present in the org charts. You don't, none of that. So, so it's probably a learned skill or maybe a natural ability, but not a spiritual gift. You still may operate it in it as a discipline. It can still glorify God with it, but it may not be a spiritual gift for you. So let that settle in. Second thing is helps. The second gift, so we have administration, and then we have the gift of helps. Now, the gift of helps is mentioned three times in the scriptures, and it's really aiding in simple and practical ways. It, uh, the gift of helps offers an effective uh, service to people who are in need. There's kind of this simplicity to it, right? It takes on common tasks. It's, it's not bogged down by the mundane. It actually thrives in the mundane. So some of the, 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 the tasks that you may not see or don't really get thought about, the person with the gift of helps loves it. There's a joy. Um, they're cheerful in the midst of it. They do them regularly. There's a worshipful sense uh, when they're serving in this particular area. And a large number of people in the church have the gift of helps. Are you with me on that? And so 
The gift of helps refers to having a capacity, having a capacity to unselfishly meet the needs of other people through practical service. It says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, now you are the body of Christ and each of you has, is a member of it. I'm just going to keep reading it so you can get that in your heart that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God has called you for such a time as this in this hour. That God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, workers of miracle, and those with spiritual gifts. So look, look at all those like, whoa, prophecy and gifts of miracles. And, but what's right in the midst of all of that is administration and helping. It's just as supernatural. It's just as valuable. With the gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various tongues. We see this. First um, Peter chapter four, verse 10 and 11, we see God has given each of you uh, a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak, though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Can I tell you, if you do not, if you are, have the gift of health, but you're not doing it in the strength and energy that God provides, you're probably going to get bitter you're probably going to get frustrated. Um, and, and if you're not in a healthy spot, you're going to feel like people are using you because you've stopped helping. You've started helping for other reasons rather than for the glory of God, for the name of God, empowered by him to do what he's called you to do. Or maybe you've gotten your eyes on other people's gifts and you're comparing. And so, so you want to make sure that with the gift of helps, you're, you're definitely operating from a full tank. Because if not, it, it, can, it can feel a little bit mundane, but when you're doing it, it should. There, if you have the gift of helps, like it just fills your tank to the moon. Are you with me on that? Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 6 and 7 says, If your gift is serving, this is another aspect of helps, serve them well. And so, so God has called you to serve others, again, with the gifts of helps, so that others can be set free to use their gifts. Again, these are all supporting gifts. So what does it look like practically? Well, you find joy in simple, messy tasks that many don't want to do. And there's just a joy. Do you know how many people do behind the scenes stuff here that nobody sees? But if we lost that, would be detrimental. Arteries gone from our church. Again, there's no superheroes here. There's only Jesus and his body operating as one. Uh, encourage and help others accomplish. Oh, let me give you the gift of help too. I think like, like uh, Stephanie and her family, they, they serve, many of you guys never even see them out there because they're serving our team. They're, they're setting up with food for our team, coffee. Come on, somebody, man, it, it would be a struggle without, just kidding. Um, but many people never see her because she's in this hallway, her and her family, almost the whole Sunday. Setting up, serving, and then cleaning up. And it's purely just to free up others, make sure they're nourished, make sure they're hydrated, make sure they have everything they need so they can fulfill their mission. And she does it with great joy, with great energy, and in the strength and the power that God provides. We have so many people like that in our church. I'm just saying that is somebody that you never really see but is so instrumental. Uh, demonstrates the love of God on a regular basis in practical ways. Uh, urge to help. It just has this urge to help and seems to notice ways that you can assist others. If you're always just like, oh, I want to go, I want to go. I want to help. I, I see it. Let's do it. Uh, don't mind taking on a behind-the-scenes task out of the spotlight. 
And actually you enjoy what doing what others have been avoiding? Small things without expecting credit. Joy is using your talent, your ability, and your skill to help others in the church. I had to abbreviate a lot because if I write all this out, it'd be too much. Um, so, So is this you? Sometimes with the gift of helps, again, if you're not in a healthy place, it can feel like nobody notices you. But can I just tell you, if you have this gift, God is watching and he rewards obedience and faithfulness. That if you are using this gift in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he's called you to do, to free people up, to do what they're called to do, I promise you this, that God will give you a joy. God will give you just a sense of satisfaction. I think our setup and teardown team, the same way. I know that all of those guys and gals that serve on our setup uh, and teardown, like they're called. Because... Not one person, when I come, when I walk up in the morning, they've already been here early. Our sound team, early. And you just know that there's a gifting because there's no complaint. It's like, hey, happy anniversary, Pastor Matt. Me and Jackie just celebrated 16 years yesterday. Let's go. Uh, I'm still madly, I'm more in love with my wife today than I was in the beginning. Facts, true statement, and she can, she can vouch for that. That's real. It's not, not like, oh, yeah, like we like, not a perfect marriage, but a healthy marriage. Are you with me? Um, and so, so, so our, I just know that they're called to do these things. Why? Because there's such a joy in the midst of. And I can tell sometimes if they're not, you know, if somebody's struggling or they're going through something personal, that doesn't mean they're not gifted. It just means that they're going through stuff and processing. I'm talking about on a regular basis, if what you're doing is not bringing you great joy and fulfillment, maybe you're operating more of a discipline than a gift. All right? Are you guys with me on this? Do you have the gift of helps? Uh, Love gifts. Manifest the love of God in very practical ways through mercy. Mercy, the gift of mercy. Let's look at this together. Mercy is a special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to feel genuine empathy and compassion for individuals, both Christian and non-Christian, who suffer distress, physical, mental, or emotional problems, and translate that compassion into cheerful, cheerfully done deeds which reflect Christ's love, alleviating of suffering. Now, we're all called to be merciful. This is one of those aspects where, hey, Pastor Mary, aren't all of us called to be merciful? Yeah, Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Right, Be merciful, show others mercy just as your father is merciful. Absolutely. But for some of you, it's a discipline. And, and it can be, it just doesn't flow super easy and naturally. Like others are like, talk to me. I want to know, where are you? I, I think uh, Pastor Lauren is a great example of this. Pastor Lauren has the gift of mercy and discernment. So her gift set is really unique because she has such a compassion to see thing, to see lives transform. She has a deep compassion for one-on-one. Some of you guys spill your guts to her and you don't even know why you do it because uh, she has a gift, right? But then she's also able to discern what you need in the moment because sometimes the gift of mercy can get distorted where you're never telling them truth. You're just like, oh, like, yep, yep, all right, well, man, I'm, but you're, you never get around to truth. Can I just tell you that that is... I would say that that is you're not operating under with the fruit of the spirit. Um, you may be operating a little bit out of insecurity, even though you may have that gift. You're afraid to tell the truth because you don't want to hurt them because you have this great, you know, compassionate heart and, and you're merciful. So you have to make sure that that these other gifts are around. And if that's not you, just like, hey, I think you need a little bit more. You need to talk to a pastor. You need to talk to to somebody else. But you just can't leave them in that space. 
without, you know, you know what they need, but you don't want to tell them that's really not being merciful. It's being, it's being hurtful. Um, are you guys with me on that? Uh, Romans chapter 12 and mercy. You can get caught in gossip if you're, if you're not careful. So you got to make sure you're operating from a healthy place. Cause you're like, man, everybody tells me everything. It's awesome. I know a lot about all of you. Um, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then encourage. Uh, if it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so, again, mercy is not just this common courtesy. Or, or I'm just going to be kind. Um, I'm a little, it's, it's not just like I'm getting emotional because I'm watching a movie. No, somebody with the gift of mercy is deeply moved emotionally, but it moves them to a place of action. There's this inward tenderness that says we, we got to figure this out. Like, like, we, like we, we, have to, we have to figure this out. One of the, 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 uh, the gift of mercy is noticeable many times in people that were not merciful before Christ. And then all of a sudden, supernaturally, they're like extremely merciful. And so you can see that gift in operation. And in some people, there's such a great contrast because you're like, whoa, you were never like this before. Because it's a supernatural effort working and operating in their life. So the gift of mercy, uh, you're moved emotionally toward action to help the needs of others. There's an impulse to embrace the sinner or the broken. There's a willingness to weep with those who weep. When someone is in the wrong, uh, whether they sin or they hurt somebody or they do something out of brokenness, the person with mercy says, hey, no one has the right to say anything to you. We're all broken. All of us are messed up. Like there's just that, that empathy that you can feel. They're drawn to the broken. They're drawn to the mess that everybody else is running away from. You find Jesus so close when you're around physical, mental, emotional pain, and people talk about their stuff to you, and you don't know why. You're just like, what in the world? But you love it. You're like in the place where there is physical, mental, emotional, where there is just a mess. You feel the closest to Jesus, and you love being in that space. And you cannot see why everybody does not want to be in that space. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, we see this. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. See, Dorcas has a, a little blip of her life. But you know how many Dorcases were in the early church doing this. You see what I'm saying? There's so much value in every gift. Now, the difference between mercy and helps is the difference in who, I'm sorry, the difference between mercy and helps is the difference between who receives the help. So in helps, you're, you're really coming up under the greater vision of the church. You're trying to release others in their gifting. You're taking on tasks, different things of that. Mercy is like, it's, it's more one-on-one. You're dealing with the pain right in front of you. You're like in the thick of it. It's, it's, it's a mess. It's emotional. It's, it's, it, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on, and, but your heart is just drawn there. And so, so, again, it's not getting caught up in the small mundane task. It's the person in front of you. It's the one-on-one. It's, it's, you just can't. you got to rush to their help. Do you have the gift of mercy? So the beautiful thing is in step two, you're going to take a spiritual gifts test. But a lot of times you say, oh, I got mercy, but we don't know what, it, what that means because we can't give you all the details. And the fact is, everybody go and research? Probably not. So we're trying to help you understand that, man, how has God wired you uniquely? Yeah. 
Because this, this, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, this is so critical to the hour that we're living in. The church operating as the church, moving the mission of the gospel forward. So the last one is this. One of the love gifts is the gift of giving. Now, a lot of times we don't talk a lot about the gift of giving. For whatever reason, I don't know why. It's a spiritual gift. Uh, there's a, a sensitivity to, to give resources, to channel resources to others with a great joy, with, with the only one motive is generosity. Like, like there's no ulterior motives, those with the gift of giving. Like, like you follow Jesus, and even though we're all called to be generous, for you, it's, it's beyond that. Like, we're all called to be generous as followers of Jesus. It's another one of those gifts, right? We want to uh, be generous with our time, with our talent, and our treasure. That's what we always say here, those three areas. God is always going to ask us in one of those three ways. Uh, we believe in tithing. We believe in giving God the first. But that's not the gift of giving. Um, we look here in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. It says, if it is to encourage, then give, encur- then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. Everybody hold on to that word generously because I'm going to get there in just a minute. But, 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 uh, but we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says that each of you should determine like where you've landed and what you're going to give. Like don't give out of compulsion. Don't give reluctantly. No, God loves a cheerful giver. Decide in your heart. That is not the gift of giving. That is something that the the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit is calling all of us to. We don't give out under compulsion. We don't give reluctantly. We decide in our heart what we're to give, and we give it cheerfully for God loves a cheerful giver. But when you're sad because you can't give more money away or resource and you're devastated, you might have the gift of giving. Like when you feel, oh, God, would you just let me make more so I can give it away? Like if you're thinking about, you know, always thinking about retirement, always thinking about you having a little nest egg, being secure. The people with gift of giving normally are just great at that anyways because there's wealth. They have people that do that for them. Um, but, but many mistake that the gift of giving just means you have a lot of money. And so we, we, we can't be mistaken. On one hand, yeah, many people with the gift of giving do have a lot of money. Many people without a lot of money have the gift of giving. Are you tracking with me on that? So some of you guys are like, oh, that rules me out. I don't have that gift. It's not about monetary. It's not about that. It's when you are giving your last penny away, is it with great joy and excitement and gratitude? And you know Jesus is in it. Some of you guys, man, I, I would say that so many times when we think about the gift of giving, even in the church, we think about wealth. It's just not true. It's a gift that God is a supernatural gift that he's bestowed upon us. So how do you know if you have the gift of giving? If you earmark certain amounts because you have a strong sense of God, that God is going to move and you want to be ready, so you just set money aside. It's just on a regular basis. If there's great joy in helping someone, even though they will never know who gave the help. <laughs> there's some of you, there, there's a couple in our church. I know that one of them has the gift of giving. I remember one time, uh, this last year, I forgot, it, it, was, it was some event, but they, maybe it was pastor's appreciation, but they ordered sandwiches for like all of our team. But they didn't want to be known. But they didn't have to tell me who it was. I already knew who it was. Because there's a gift of giving. But they don't care. They don't need recognition. Uh, we have a, a gentleman, when we first came here, uh, we, ha- we have a couple that, um, if you guys look at the floor, they've actually 
they, their company did all of our floors and carpeting and all that stuff. And I remember we needed carpeting in our kids' classrooms. And our kids' classrooms were right where everybody on this backside is sitting right now. And I remember we had no money. And so I just wanted to get an estimate. So he came, he looked at it. He said, yeah, we, we can do it. And I said, well, how much is it going to be? He's like, it's going to be free. I was like, what? Yep, it's going to be free. So what about the labor? Free. And then he wrote us a check for 5000 And then from that point forward today, it's almost been six and a half years, they give generously to our church every single month. And they live in Nevada. They believe in the mission and vision of what God is doing here. And, and this is what they tell me. Don't, you don't even thank me. Don't send me anything. Don't, no, no, just, this is my gift to the body. This is just what we do. Many of you are super generous. Do you have the gift of giving? Holding possessions and resources lightly, you're always looking for somebody in need. Following the Holy Spirit's prompts and amaze how he always meets your needs. Prone to handling finances, and you know everything you have is God's. You radically give above and beyond on a regular basis. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 8, when it says give generously, this word generously, it means without fold, like a fold in a cloth. Like there's no fold to your motivation. It's not hidden. It's not complicated. There's a singleness. There's a simplicity. There's a sincerity in your motivation. You don't give because you're, you're politicking, trying to get advancement in the church. Because you'd be surprised. I've seen it over the years. Well, hey, you know I gave a lot. Thank God we've never like dealt with that here, but I've dealt with that. And I've experienced that in the last 20 plus years of ministry where because people give, they expect things to be ran a certain way or they wanna push their weight or do, we call that politically, right? That's not the gift of giving. You're not thinking about your tax receipts. You don't care who sees. You're simply sharing what God has given you and you find great joy in that. It says here in Acts chapter four, verse 33 and 36, God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needing persons among them. Just listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. This is the early church. It says, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You notice that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Jesus said, hey, when you give, like when you do stuff like that, don't tell anybody, right? But Jesus is really dealing with motivation, the motivation of your heart. Like if you're giving to be recognized, if you're giving to move your you know, self or agenda forward or whatever, then that, yeah, that's wrong. But why would they put Barnabas on blast like this? Because they're recognizing the gift. The gift is in operation in the body of Christ. This is a gift to the body. So what can they do? They can practice it. Some are, have to be a little bit more disciplined at it. But they can encourage one another in their gifting. If, if the gift of giving is never talked about, then, man, how can, we, how can it actually people be encouraged in that gift? And so, so it's so important that we understand these, these love gifts. They're, they're supporting gifts in the body. Like I said, a lot of times what we have in church, we think there's division. No, we just have gift tension where you have the evangelist is like, everybody should evangelize. You have, you know, the giver saying, how come everybody's so stingy? Right? It's just, no, it's just there's giftings. 
And it forces us to see how much we desperately need one another and how uniquely different we are. And so does any of those resonate today? Does any of those, do you connect with any of those? If you do, this is what I want you to do. We're going to have our prayer team up here and even a couple of our pastors. And we just want to confirm and encourage and affirm that gift in your life. So if you're like, man, I think so. I think I have this gift. Or if you're like, man, I'm not really sure. We want to pray that God makes it clear. And we want to pray that, that God will help you to begin to step out and utilize the gifts that he's given you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time. I know, God, today was a little bit more like a lab. But it's important. It's vital. That the body is operating as one unit. You said that a kingdom divided amongst itself cannot stand. And neither can a body that's totally separated. You can see the importance of us gathering. You can see the importance of being connected to a local church because we are all part of the body. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to each heart, Lord, that, Lord, a supernatural move of your spirit would infuse, would empower, would confirm and encourage those with these love gifts. So needed, so supernatural. And serve such a great purpose in the body of Christ and your body with you as the head. So, Lord, affirm encourage and equip in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen come on can we give the Lord a big hand thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church for more details on how to get connected visit us at fountainchurch.cc we're also on YouTube Facebook and Instagram we'll see you next time